God's laws have always been primarily preoccupied with the heart, only secondarily preoccupied with the externals. Man's regulations have always been preoccupied only completely with externals. So he said, he called the people, again, the scribes and Pharisees being dismissed, he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. So he calls the people to him and he issues these words, hear me, all of you, and understand. So this reminds me anyway of Mark's theme really since the beginning. Mark has had this consistent theme, has he not? The theme of hearing and receiving Hearing the word, understanding it, and receiving it. That's been a theme of Mark's from the beginning. It's a theme that really became prominent in chapter 3 with the parable of the, of the soils, how that parable was so pointedly focused upon the need to hear and what you do upon hearing it. How does your heart hear and receive the word that you have heard? So he says to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. Once again, a reminder for us that Christianity, our faith, always has presented itself in Scripture as that which is understandable, it's logical, it's rational. Our faith has never been presented in the Scriptures as something that is enigmatic and impossible to understand and illogical or irrational. Instead, it is something that Jesus can say, hear and understand. Your soul depends on this. Your life depends on your hearing and your understanding. And I'm not speaking in in mysteries and riddles. I'm speaking in ways that you can understand. Hear and understand, which tells us once again of just the three-step process of salvation for the Christian. The three-step process that the Scriptures present to us always begins with the mind, with the hearing. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Scripture presents to us that the process begins with the hearing, with the understanding, with the comprehension, which is why preaching on Sunday morning, which is why our gatherings on Wednesday night, we always focus on the comprehension of God's Word because that's where it begins. Hearing and comprehending. And then step two, the hearing, the mind then goes to the heart. And what the, what the ears hear, what the mind comprehend, going to the heart changes the heart. And then the third step is the will. The mind to the heart to the will. That's the Christian process. That's the process, process of salvation. That's the process of sanctification. Begins by hearing and comprehending from there to the heart, from the heart to the will. So hear me, all of you, and understand. You hear the urgency in his words there. It's as though their souls, their eternity depends upon hearing and understanding. Hear me, all of you, and understand, verse 15, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person, they are what defile him. So there's nothing that can go into a person that can defile him. So let's be careful here to hear what Jesus said in the context that he said it. Jesus's words are very easy. This verse in particular, very easy to just take this phrase that Jesus said, lift it right off the context and taking it out of the context, make it appear to say something that Jesus didn't say. Because Jesus is not saying that in all of human experience, there is nothing that can enter into you that can defile you. That's not what Jesus is saying. 
Jesus is not saying that there's nothing that you can hear that won't defile you. Or there's nothing that you can see that entering into your mind, through your eyes, into your brain, cannot defile you. He's not saying that there are not ideas that you can hear with your ears and give credence to or hear them uncritically. And by listening to them uncritically and receiving them uncritically, being defiled by them. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is speaking in the context of food being put into the mouth without the washing of hands first, and that food somehow becoming, because it entered the mouth by way of unwashed hands, somehow that food then defiles the person. That's clearly the context that Jesus is speaking of here. So the Scriptures will say to us that, yes, absolutely, there are things that enter into you that can defile you. Paul will say to Peter, he will say uh, to Peter, just beware of getting drawn into these endless genealogies. He says those things are worthless. Don't let those things enter in. Or as he says to the Colossians, he'll talk about uh, philosophies being captive by philosophies and empty deceits in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. So the scriptures affirm for us that things can enter through our ears, through our eyes, they can enter into our mind, and we can accept them and we can receive them, not weighing them against the, the truth of scripture. And those things, those ideas, those images, those sounds, those words, they can defile you when you receive them without weighing them against the perspective of Scripture. But Jesus isn't speaking of that. He's speaking of this ridiculous notion that unwashed hands, hands that have not been ceremonially cleansed, can touch food and that that food then goes in your mouth and somehow you are then defiled by that. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. So the Pharisees, as we know, they had boiled everything down to externals. The Pharisees were all about externals, which by the way, piggybacking on piggybacking, that's a hard word. It's probably not even a right real word, is it? So on the back of what we talked about last week, as we talked about the traditions of the scribes and Pharisees compared to the commandments of scripture, you have heard it said compared to it is written. We talked about that contrast and that comparison. But just to sort of follow up on that, the, the traditions of men, the regulations, the laws of men are always about what? Externals. The regulations of man are always preoccupied with, consumed with externals. When we think about the Old Testament regulations of the, of the commandments of God, even then, we really aren't right to say that they were preoccupied with externals. They addressed a lot of externals. But what was the command, what were the commandments of God always preoccupied with? They're always concerned with the heart. That's always been the preoccupation. Jeremiah says, circumcise the heart. Or the psalmist David says, Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart. Or 1 Samuel 16, we all know this verse, the Lord doesn't look on the exterior, on the outside, the Lord looks upon the heart. And many other places we could see this. God's laws have always been primarily preoccupied with the heart, only secondarily preoccupied with the externals. Man's regulations have always been preoccupied only completely with externals. And so the Pharisees, throughout their regulations and their rules, they had been, become completely consumed with the external only because the external 
was something that they could easily manipulate and easily control while maintaining a nasty, dirty, filthy heart on the inside, yet the outside could be made to look clean and they would appear to other men as holy and righteous. That's why Jesus will say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is like a full of dead men's bones. It's so filthy. But they were preoccupied with the external only. And lest we look back across 2,000 years of history and say, Oh, those shameful Pharisees, just recognize we live in the exact same world today under the exact same conditions, under the, living with the exact same fallen hearts today. Our situations may be different. We may focus on different externals today, but make no mistake that mankind as a whole is preoccupied with externals that make you appear good and righteous and holy and right. We are consumed with these today. We live in a world today that has, this is beyond debate, we we have gone crazy over eco-friendliness, haven't we? environmentalism, we have gone crazy over the idea of caring for the planet, recycling, that sort of thing. Now, is anything wrong with that? No. As stewards of God's creation, we we should care for this world that God has created. But we have now created a world, a society in which if you want to get on the wrong side of your neighbor, just don't put your recycle out. Just let your neighbor know that all your recycle is really going into the trash instead of the recycle. Or we live in a world today in which, you know, you can go down to the Starbucks coffee and, you know, they've got the two trash cans there and the one just tries to shame you by saying landfill as though it needs to say landfill. It's just like, you know, put something in here to your own shame because we'll be watching what you put into the landfill. And we've just sort of gone way over the top with the whole recycle, care for the earth, care for the environment sort of thing. Have you ever stopped to think? And again, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But have you ever stopped to think that perhaps the God of this age is thrilled with that? Because that's something that is entirely and completely external that people all around us are feeling good about themselves over. Look how I'm recycling. Look how I'm caring for the planet. Look how I drive an EV. Look how my carbon footprint is getting smaller. And on and on it could go. That's something that's entirely external. That is an easy way for people who have rotten hearts to feel holier than thou. To feel more righteous than the neighbor. Or let's take our modern Western preoccupation with physical fitness. Anything wrong with physical physical fitness? Absolutely not. God gave us amazing bodies. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. And it is our duty as stewards of what God has given to us to care for them. And so you sin against God when you abuse your body. But do we not live in a society in which many in our society today have taken the idea of physical fitness to really to make a God out of it, to make a religion out of it. You may know people that you could probably rightly say that they worship physical fitness. They worship physical health. Nothing at all wrong with caring for your body in its place. But can you see how that's yet another external? That someone can have a black heart, 
but yet do certain things on the outside and others can look upon them and say, wow, what a great person. So the rules and the regulations may have changed. They may have completely done away with any sort of Orthodox Christianity or Orthodox Judaism background, but they're still the same externals. They're still the, still the same thing of saying, let me do this on the outside while having a heart that I don't really need to address what's wrong with my heart, but I can do these things on the outside and then think of myself as a good person and other people can also see me as a good person. And so this is what Jesus is saying. There's nothing, this exterior thing, there's nothing on the outside that can go in and defile a man, but the things that come out are what defile him. Look at verse 17. By the way, in, uh, unless you're in the King James, look at verse 16. There is no six, verse 16 in our modern translations because verse 16 is extremely well attested to not be original to Mark. The King James includes it. I think a couple, like the NASB, I think includes it in brackets. But the verse 16 says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's very, very well attested that that was not original to Mark. So having the high view of Scripture that we hold, if it's not, that's not what Mark wrote, then verse 16 is not found there. So verse 17, And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. So they come inside and somebody asked Jesus, we don't know who, who it was, Philip, maybe Nathaniel, Jesus, can you help us with that parable? Can you explain what, what was that all about? So aren't you glad for the one person, maybe it was more than one, Aren't you glad for the one that said, Jesus, can't you imagine them coming into the house and they're all, uh, all the disciples are talking, but wow, that was a great parable, Jesus. You really told them I was, that was some great teaching. And then one of the disciples is like, wait a minute. What, what did you mean, Jesus? I, I didn't, I didn't quite get that. You ever been there where really everybody, nobody really understood, but there's only one person willing to admit that they didn't understand. So somebody speaks up, maybe more than some, more than one speak up. They say, wait a minute. We just didn't quite get that, Jesus. Can you explain it to us? So he, so he leaves the crowd coming into the house. So we see this pattern once again in Mark's gospel. It's a pattern that when Jesus separates himself from the crowd and gets off by himself to the disciples, then more revelation is coming. More understanding is coming. More teaching is coming. Particularly, you may have noticed this as well, particularly when they enter a house. You may have picked up on that. But when the disciples enter a house with Jesus, there's teaching coming. So he left the crowd and he comes into the house and his disciples asked Jesus, we still didn't understand. Can you help us? Can you, can you go back through that again? Verse 18, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? In other words, are you as dull as the ones outside? Are you as slow, are you as dim-witted as the rest of the crowd that you still don't get it either? So that's rather a sharp rebuke on Jesus' part. Are you still without understanding? I mean, are, are you really that slow? Have you been with me that long that you still don't understand these? I'm, I'm teaching some pretty basic things, guys. Why, why are you still not able to understand? So almost a little bit of shaming for them there. Are you still without understanding? Now, think back with me back into chapter three. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples. To you has been given what? To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. To those on the outside, I speak in parables, but to you on the inside, to you has been given the mystery. 
to know the things of God and to understand the things of God. And do you remember back when we were studying through that passage, we said, you know, the, the disciples, it's not like Jesus is saying from this point on, you've got it. And all I got to do is just say it one time and you've got it because you understand what I'm saying. But remember that we were careful to see that what Jesus was meaning here was not that the disciples have become expert parable interpreters on their own. What he means is in your coming to me and asking me, Jesus, can you explain this to it to me? And then Jesus gives the explanation. That's what he means. And your connection to me has now been given the understanding of the things of the kingdom of God. So here, once again, they're, they're once again not understanding. So clearly they have not been endowed with this independent spiritual ability to understand Jesus' teachings apart from his explanations. They still have to come to him. They still have to be grafted to the true vine. And their abiding in the true vine is still the only way that they comprehend the things of the kingdom of God. So are you still without understanding? Yes, you are, which is why they're here. So he rebukes them in this sort of a harsh, a little bit of a harsh, a little bit of a sharp sort of way. But I think that the reason that this is here, perhaps, is just to help us, just to help us maybe to embrace what Jesus says to the disciples. Are you still so dull? Because, brothers and sisters, this is, we are just as dull. We are absolutely just as dull as these disciples, spiritually speaking. Apart from abiding in the vine and apart from Jesus' explanation to us, we too are just as dull. The disciples would spend the rest of their life relying on Jesus' explanations to them. For the rest of Jesus' time on earth, He would have to explain His teachings to them. And then after He ascends to heaven, He will continue to explain His teachings to them by way of the Spirit that was sent to them. We too are just as dull. So perhaps this is an invitation for us to just embrace your dullness. Just embrace the fact that apart from Him, you cannot understand any of this. And just be prepared in your heart. If Jesus were before you saying the words that He said to these disciples, are you still so dull? Just be prepared in your heart to say, yes, Lord, I am dull. I am so dull. Can you use small words and speak slowly? Because I have a hard time and I need you to help me to understand this. 